my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to the Music Podcast. Delighted to be joined this week, not just by Sonic Architect Adam over there. Hello, great to be back, as always, in the hot seat. But also by returning guest to the show, David Anthony Tapley of Tandem Felix. My seat is the hot seat. You're that, not in the hot seat. That is true. That is true. You're in the. Um... I like to make myself feel more important than I am. <laughs> You're the guy in the chair, like in yeah. Spider-Man and the superhero movies, where you have like the Spider-Man. The guy in the chair. Yeah, the guy in the chair. The guy in the chair. What's what's his what's his name in the in the new movies? I can't remember. Spider-Man. Yeah. Ned. No. Yeah. Exactly. Or like Alfred in Batman. Because it's Genki in the games. Okay. So it's slightly deviating from the script. I don't know which comics they're being cribbed from. Welcome to comic chat, everybody. Yeah, yeah. New Spider-Man out on Friday, everybody. Today, as of this podcast dropping. Well, I tell you something, if you're going to play that Spider-Man game, you better have only one album playing alongside <sighs> you for the soundtrack. <laughs> and that is, of course, the new album from Tandem Felix. Let's take a listen. message of the afternoon from the album there's a new sheriff in town it is out now it is the second hand of felix album but before we get into chatting about that uh would like to introduce our top five that you chose for this episode tappy which we'll be doing later in the show yes um we just had comic book chat and later we should be having sphere chat uh we're going to be doing the top five and bottom five from um the what should i say uh mount temple based rock band u2 um in honor of their uh, whatever 50 date run or however I actually don't know how long they're playing in Vegas do I have time still to go are they some say too long some say too short I think it's an 8 year deal like when Chelsea sign a new footballer <laughs> yes yeah what's that amortisation amortisation yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the mudrick of of, uh, of Nevada but um, yes yeah, so I'll be taking top 5 with some caveats and you'll be taking bottom five with, with uh, oh, I hope no caveats at all. Just, well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, like, we're, yeah, so we're, we have a veteran Irish act and we have a, a, a different Irish act, which of course is your Irish mm-hmm. act, Tandem Felix. Uh, plucky first, up and comer. Plucky, yeah, look, plucky up and comer, young David Tapley. Um, first question, uh, difficult second album or piece of cake? Um, I would say there was no slump with this sophomore. Um, this is... Uh, Probably the, the, the kindest schedule that uh, can happen to anyone is a two and a half year pandemic coming between debut album and, and, and follow up. So it was pleasant to make all in all, albeit a little bit dif- different, not difficult, but different in terms of having to do a lot of it at home and via email and such. But it wasn't something that was particularly prohibitive. It was something that, you know. Uh, opportunity and crisis are the same word in Chinese, so the uh, same symbol in, in Chinese script. So that's that's what I was thinking. Crisisunity, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, you strike me as a meticulous fellow in the music, <laughs> in the studio. Now I've never really been in the studio. I haven't overseen you do your thing, but uh, you know, are you a perfectionist? That's part of the meticulous nature of it. There's there's a very much out and now hangout sort of um, policy. 
I've tried, and he's very much. I've been rebuffed with extreme prejudice. Have, Go home, Dave, has yes. been the exact <laughs> phrase yeah, that was used. Door in the face, but um, no, save that. Save that for the pub, which uh, will come after the studio and before the studio on some occasions. But um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I'm trying to learn to not be. I mean, it's hard, as you know, Adam, as well. It's it's hard to set yourself deadlines. Sometimes they feel like they will rush you and it will cause you to. Um, compromise your 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 work but but also they do play some sort of um i don't know stakes on on the on the work you're doing so i, I that's something i do need to get better at maybe if, if i can that that'll be a, an aim of mine for album number 3 is to not take 4 years this time or or else i don't know i have to play some some wager on it or some forfeit or something i'll shave my head if i don't release an album in the next 2 the years the hair is getting quite long thank you very much yes laziness more than more than any uh, how long? How long can it go? I feel like you've asked me this on mic before. Have, oh, come on! I feel I've, we've had we've had hair chat. We've done hair chat. Have we had hair chat. This I is just where we talked about the, the the shower temperature thing. Of course, this, this is, is on mic. This yeah. is pandemic time. I remember this because this has stuck with me ever since. And it was David Tapley said on mic. I don't think this is a direct quote, but no, it is a direct quote. Rain temperature hmm. is the optimum temperature. Yeah. For the shower. How we evolved was to wash ourselves in rivers and, you know, bodies of water, natural bodies of water, which are not going to be heated by by nature of the fact that there was no electricity back in those days. So, um, I'm yeah. just curious where like where this hair journey is going, because you're wearing like a check shirt, you got shoulder length hair, you're wearing a baseball cap. It's all a bit grunge. Yeah, well, grunge is back, I you're guess. You're not a grunge artist, though. How would you... Uh, like? You, you know, don't know what the next album's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Categorization's one of those things that I think pisses every musician off, so um, Folk Americana still doing it for you for 10 <laughs> Felix. Uh, no, I actually have a new word. It's called Folkacana. Um, <laughs> T-shirts, I want them now. Yes, me too. Well, let's, let's get folk... What's I can't even remember what I just said. Um, let's get folked. Uh, yeah, maybe the next one will be grunge. I don't know. This is a, this is a t-shirt I haven't worn. I was we were I was sweep, sweeping a chimney today, David. You know what I mean. So I had to. Bust I asked the, him if uh, he said he said he was getting his chimney sweeped, and I asked him if it was a euphemism because I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> it was. I was getting my chimney sweeped today. Quite, it was literally. Yes. Yeah. I was, it's, we're we're getting into the into the cold part of the year. So it's true. October's finally arrived, and um, it's, it's a massive fire hazard to not sweep your chimney, folks. By the way public service announcement if anyone's thinking about lighting a fire sweep that chimney at least once a year because there could be some birds living in there and they could go up on fire and game over if uh, if you play the Tanda Felix vinyl backwards that's what it says yes uh, you vinyl, buy it first vinyl is available right the vinyl is available as of um, time of uh, podcast launch go hassle your local record dealer Yes. Get the record. Uh, there's a new sheriff in town. Uh, who is your favourite lawman, fictional or otherwise? Um, that would have to be uh, Lieutenant Frank Colombo, I would say. Um, as we all know, all cops are bastards, except for Colombo. That's, it's, it's agreed. It's the tenets of the ACAB rule. Um, that was, uh, Colombo was a big lockdown sort of uh, lockdown activity of mine. I don't know if you've ever engaged with Columbo outside of memes or uh, anything like that have you ever watched I, I, I just, sat down and watched an episode no I never actually I, I just know the bit where at the end of an episode yes. it seems like the criminal has gotten away with everything yes. and he mind tricks them yes by saying just one more thing yes of course here's the evidence by yeah. he rarely says it 
<laughs> so why has it become such a meme? Because a few times he does say it, it's Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the television sort of meme. I mean, it, it, he does it ex- pretty much exactly that every episode, but he rarely says and just one more thing. It's I don't know. I feel like I've actually never heard that. Did Peter Falk call his autobiography that? I feel like he might have. Possibly. Yeah, I've hmm. not read that Christmas present idea for myself there. Yeah, you treat yourself, that's what you should do. You know, it's tough out there for everybody. So you... um, it's, It is a television show with some absolutely amazing sort of monster of the week style criminal uh, or bad guys of the week. Um, so yeah, I, I implore everyone who's listened to this to go and seek out a episode list of um, of Colombo and, and you'll be surprised at, at who will be in there. Johnny Cash, for example, Very is, nice. is, is a bad man in one of the episodes, which is a great crack. Uh, do you agree with the internet campaign that if they made a Colombo movie today, it's Mark, be Mark Ruffalo? Ruffalo? Yes, yeah. I, I can't not see it in him anymore <laughs> for, for a long time. I feel like Zodiac was his uh, sort of unintentional audition for that. Um, maybe Collateral a little bit too, as you guys same sort of... Who know. Maybe... Is Ruffalo in Collateral? Am I making that up? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He uh, goes out unceremoniously. Great film, by I the way. I feel like he's wearing a rain mac in that as well. He has his be. hair slicked back. He's got a moustache. Leather jacket. No, okay. Maybe, Undercover maybe cop detective, I believe. Um, I think I think Zodiac, is, he's got more of that Columbo drip yeah, going. Yeah, as Dave Toshki. Good movie. Uh, what if they cast Timothy Chalamet as Columbo? How would you feel about that? A man with long hair as well. <laughs> a fellow Longharian. Um... Why do you ask about Chalamet? Because I think that that's what everyone, like, uh, the, people just thirst cast and they're yeah. like, put Timothy Chalamet in everything. And well, I think, you know, if you're going to get a Columbo movie made, there's probably got to be some studio concessions. Are you are you referencing the fact that he's going to be playing Bob Dylan very shortly? <laughs> no, I, I, what's the story there? I don't know. I don't know. Are they in production? I have seen a lot of photos of him now all of a sudden wearing Bob Dylan t-shirts and wearing, like, leather jackets and stuff and it's almost like not doing it for you well I wonder is he doing that to so, so that people see that he's preparing for the role and as we all know Bob Dylan famously always wore Bob Dylan t-shirts so and of course um, you know Bob Dylan's been played by numerous actors though this uh, is very true was Cape Blanchett the Cape best Blanchett. one uh, Ben Wishaw um, I suppose it's Gene Hackman not Gene Hackman Richard Gere I would say Heath that Ledger. Yeah, Gene oh. Hackman as Bob Dylan would be quite the thing. <laughs> would be great. Um, yeah, as noted, uh, to keep it sartorial for a second, you are of course wearing a baseball cap. It says or am on it. Or is this a, a taunt at me? Is this about random access memories by Daft Punk? <laughs> um, no, uh, unfortunately not. I'm not that clever. Real ones at the show will know what we're talking about here. I'm talking about the best album of the last ten years. Which thankfully As stated is, by you in print. It's getting a drumless edition for some reason. Yes. No, because it's a, what we need is less random access. It's true. So no, no, you're wearing a you're wearing a baseball cap to do with my other favorite band, the Beatles. Yeah, this is a, a cap um, uh, glorifying the. Um, I say glorifying as if it's some sort of crime, but uh, the uh, in in honor of the Paul McCartney album Ram, which was uh, probably is probably my favorite post Beatles solo effort. Of them all. Listen to it. It's great. I mean, I say this about every Beatles song ever and almost never have you agreed with that. I'm um, very bad at homework. My therapist was only giving out to me at the weekend there about how I never do any homework that he gives me. Yeah. You know? Like, I, I, I'm just, I live in the moment, okay? Like, that's who I am. Okay. You have to appreciate that. I'm going to just have to stick it on 
at you in your presence. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. If you follow me around with a ghetto blaster, like John Cusack, and say anything, yes, then I'll do maybe, that. yeah, maybe Radio Raheem. But I know I'd rather hear the Town of Felix album come from that. So let me talk about that for a second. Sure. Actually, let me talk about Town of Felix in general. You had a mm-hmm. song in a motion picture that is, I think, still in cinemas, possibly. I hope so. Bally Walter, which stars Shauna Kerslake and Patrick Keelty. Uh, how? <clears throat> what do you think of his uh, stint as Late Late Show host so far? I have watched one episode, watched the first episode. Um, I think there's been four now, three? Uh, at least, yeah, maybe more. Um, Five or six, probably. I really enjoyed the first episode, I have to say. He um, certainly is a lot politically sounder than the ex-host. His, thing, his, his speech about, you know, uh, Israel and Palestine I thought was quite moving. I didn't see that. That was last Friday, was it? Yeah, he closed the show with it and he basically was saying that, you know, we're living in a miracle here in Ireland because we have peace and we hope that your miracle will arrive. I mean, it was a bit schmaltzy, but also in the tone of what Late Late is and he himself, I think, you know, there's a sincerity to him. Yes. And you can tell he means it and he obviously has lived his own share of trouble in that regard. Of course he has. Uh, I think we're all still rooting for him, you know? Yeah, I think so. Um, I... I mean, I always remember he was he was second in line, second in line, second came second in the race to get it when Tuberty got it the first time, and what a different last fifteen years it could have been if we didn't have to look at that man on television every Friday night. Well, not that, not that I do, <laughs> but um, yeah, now uh, we go with the best broadcaster in Irish history. He's, are you? he's a more hello. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to ask for the impression. It's been a while. Um. Yeah, he, he, we are rooting for him. I think he's. I think he's a nice man. And Worse for good overall. I, I think. think so. Seems like okay. a very nice man. He yeah. seems still very nervous in in the clips I've seen from the recent episodes, which I also find endearing. It's a big, big job to fill for someone like him. Big shoes to fill. Big. No, the shoes aren't so big, but um, it's a big seat to sit in. Big shoes to fill. Best broadcaster in the history of Irish entertainment. The state. Pat Kenny. Now there's everybody. An, now there's an impression. There you go. Hello. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, he's a nice guy. Like he, he is nervous, but um, yes. But you have a song in his movie. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come about? Hollywood Big Shot. No idea. Got an email one day. That's literally how these things happen. It's not quite as. Did you view the email with suspicion? No, um, I did what I usually do, checked who the email was from, looked at the text that came after the at symbol just to make sure that it wasn't some sort of fake AIB trying to scam my debit card or anything, and it was from a reputable music um, supervision company. Music for films at hotmail.com. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 420. Hotfilmsnow.net. Hotfilmsnow. Hotmail. H O T M A L E.com. So um, I was, yeah, very trusting of it straight away. And I mean, I didn't have to do anything. I just had to send a song across. And Nice validation, though, I'm sure. It certainly is. Right. I actually can't wait. To, I haven't seen the film yet. It's been a very busy couple of weeks. Um, I would love to get the chance to see it before it's gone from my local picture house. Uh, it, is a, it is release week, of course, for this new record of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any change in emotion in you? Does it does it feel like the the ending of a chapter? Does it feel like anything? Like I feel like are these things just naturally anticlimactic? You know, do you feel relief? Um, it's more like I've got an exam coming up, and I've I'm thinking back on all the time that I was sitting around doing nothing when I could have been preparing more. But you you always find that you you know if you had your time again, you would probably prepare the exact same amount. So I don't know. It's it's a hard one. It's because I'm 
an independent musician and there's no um, label backing or management or anything like that, having to do it all by myself with, with the help from um, a few inner circle others. It's, uh, I'm just interested to see how far I can push this um, piece of content of mine uh, in this content-driven world. And uh, I just hope some nice things are said about it in some nice places and that's kind of all you can really hope for. Well, um, congratulations on it, man. I think it's thank a, you very much. I think it's a, it's, it's a damn fine record. That's, that's but you make damn fine records. Thing, yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't expect anything less of you. Thank you very much. And I mean though. that with, with genuine sincerity. Uh, lastly, though, before we move into the new section, I should ask, uh, you will, of course, be pushing this piece of content on the road. You got some gigs coming up. Uh, why, for the promo photograph, did you invade a kitchen dress up as if you work there and yeah I, I, I need the concept here you will see you will see on Friday at time of uh, time of release I hope there's no context I, I like it would be great there's part of me that just really wants that to be <laughs> I want to do this thing and I'm going to do this thing I mean there is a song in the album called The Kitchen so that might be a bit of a hint uh, a bit of a giveaway okay. <laughs> as to what it could possibly be he's a high concept genius <laughs> but um, yes all will be revealed on, on Friday probably on youtube.com forward slash Tandem Felix probably subscribe to that channel yeah. smash that yeah. subscribe button yeah, as, Ru- as Rudy Kinsella um, said smash that like bar yeah. as Rudy Kinsella said <laughs> yeah. uh, where can we find you on tour we'll be playing in Whelan's in Dublin for all the Dublin based uh, No Encore listeners we'll be in Whelan's on the 23rd of November um, before that we shall be in Kilkenny in Clears Bar which was a place we were supposed to play in just before uh, we were booked to play it before the pandemic happened and then that gig was cancelled. So it feels nice to be starting the tour there, picking up where we left off. And we were also playing a show in Cork and a show in Limerick. So more more shows to be announced, I think, in the new year, but just a short four-date four tour to kick things off and to get the wheels in motion, I think. Nice. Um, the sound there <clears throat> of rain uh, traipsing down onto our studio roof there right as you announce your dates, which is, it feels a nice kind of wave of portent coming in. Uh, congratulations on the new record. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming back to the show. Uh, let's move into the new section. Start spreading the news. Let me start by asking David Tapley, um, who would win in a fight, the members of Tandem Felix or the members of U2? Um, it's members of Town of Felix, obviously. We have our youth on our side, and you fight dirty. We fight dirty, prison rules, and um, yeah, we're good guys. Who would you target? Bono. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well, on that note, maybe this is why. Let's have a listen to uh, you two and their big plan to big up a certain sporting empire <laughs> that backfired horribly. Here it is. To the greatest band ever. From our stage in Las Vegas to your stage in Paris. This is living. This is live. Come on, Ireland. Come on, Ireland. Together, standing tall. Las Vegas, are you ready to answer Ireland's call?
So, yeah, despite the best efforts there by Bono and the boys, uh, tragedy struck on Saturday night last when Ireland's rugby heroes, infallible creatures that they are, unpenetrable as they were, were felled and penetrated, you might say. Somehow, <laughs> somehow um, couldn't uh, defeat the All Blacks, despite them, you know, uh, and many, many fans looking ahead to what team they would want in the final. It is, in fact, yet another dismal, embarrassing, Craven and gutless quarterfinal <laughs> exit for Ireland's aforementioned rugby heroes. Where was Vinnie Casey when this was? He happening? went to the match. Oh yeah, true. And I was craven and gutless. Yeah. Well, there we go. I wasn't even trying to do that link. <laughs> so yeah, um, rugby uh, and you two. What a combination, eh? Yeah. What did you make of that? Um, I don't like to see that. I don't like to see Bono doing that. Um, yeah. No. It's that's that's real Man Temple sort of stuff there. Back in that rugby team, could never be me. No. Did you watch the match? I did actually watch the match against my better judgment. Um and uh Yeah, I don't I don't want to talk about it. We Not because to. I'm disappointed that Ireland lost, but a nation I can't believe I gave an error of my time to that sport. If Bono was to endorse the FAI, <laughs> would that be better? Yeah. Way better. <laughs> I mean, when you two played Slane in two thousand and one it was the same day as the Ireland-Holland match in Lansdowne Road, which essentially qualified us for World Cup 2002, a.k.a. the greatest day in the history of being Irish. And he made some thing about Jason McAteer on stage, possibly in that exact same moment of the the track elevation there. I think he said some sort of, like, close your eyes and it, it's McAteer or something like that. <laughs> um, way cooler. I guarantee you Bono couldn't name one player on the Irish rugby team. Oh, I'm sure he could. Johnny Sexton. I'd say he probably knows Johnny Sexton from some, yeah, mutual humanitarian work they've done, but whether Bono actually gives a a damn about these things. I've very much been enjoying the fallout from this. I don't like rugby. I did want them to win, though, because my mother likes rugby. That's my reason. I did watch the match. It was a good match. Um, But yeah, they just didn't do enough, and it's over now, and the worst fans in the entire world, unfortunately, had to eat crow. And I do love the media coverage. I love how, like, you know, there's just... they, They did nothing wrong. Yeah, they they never do anything. Everyone in the media is basically Johnny Sexton's son looking up at their father, saying, "You're still the best dad." Did he say, "You're still the best dad," or "You're still the best comma dad"? dad. I saw someone questioning this today. I'm not sure if this um, is Johnny Sexton's kid, by the way, who had a heartwarming moment with him after the final whistle as his bottler father was uh, mourning off the pitch. Are you going to prison, Daddy? <laughs> yes. <son. laughs> Oh man, um, yeah, it's it, it, it's been quite the thing. It's been quite the quite the fallout of stuff, and yeah, I just I just found it all very amusing. Rugby fans getting very upset, you know. <clears throat> Sorry, my 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 throat is killing me this week, guys. Uh, there was a thing I think it was in the Irish Times, um, an introduction to a rugby piece that says, and I quote: "Nobody died." A brilliant Irish team just <laughs> lost a game of rugby, and they died with their boots on. Hang on a second. Wait a minute. Hang on. Talk about contradictions. Very strange. I also enjoyed. I couldn't resist. I took to Twitter, as they say. As uh, as you want. As, as this is your want. As is your want. As is my want. That's exactly what I was. <laughs> Adam's going not for. on Thank there, you. so I don't even know if you know that I did. I this. am so much happier. Since of course I you are. You live longer account. for it. Oh my god! So I because uh, you know you know how like the Saw Doctors were playing a gig that night. So yeah, 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 and they were showing it beforehand. They moved their stage time. 
to like 10 o'clock. Theo Kaufman did the same in Vicar Street. Smart, yeah. I, I think, you know, um, didn't Bad Hands played in the Bellow Bar? Yep. And he did the same thing. So mm-hmm. people, it was a smart move. People I went home them. in between soundcheck and the gig, though. So For, for, a, for a nice nap. <laughs> I wasn't, uh, wasn't around that carry on. So, like, it, it's a smart thing to do. You know, like, people are going to want to watch the big game. Um, and so, so all doctors, you know, like, they screen the thing and then, like, obviously have to play afterwards and Ireland have just been knocked out of the World <laughs> Cup. So I took to Twitter... And I said, enjoy your Saw Doctors gig now, lads. <laughs> and uh, yeah, some people liked it, some people didn't. But that's the nature of um, just sporting, sporting commentary, yeah. So I believe it was a very good... Um, I had some friends up from Cork um, who went to CTO Casman and they said that it was quite an electric atmosphere. For, so the way it was structured was like first half, they were showing the match on, on the stage through the projector or whatever. And during halftime, the support played. And then and the se- second half came on, and then Theo Katzman came on. So the support act played for 15 minutes? Something, <laughs> like, something like that, yeah. And, but, but because it was cut short, he brought her back on like later in his set or something. I can't remember okay. exactly what it was, but um, she kind of caught her the remainder of her stage time later on. Yeah. But it, I believe even still, the crowd were very, like because of the fact that the sport act, she didn't know. I don't know who it was. I can't remember. Um, she didn't know that there was a big game on, and it was all very kind of like gentle folk music. Yes. So course. the crowd apparently were dead silent and were like would roar with applause after every song, which I thought was a very nice thing. And I think in other circumstances you probably wouldn't have that. So all in all, I think probably a good, a good thing for acts like the Saw Doctors and Theo Katzman to have done structured the show around yes, that big event what you're missing here Adam is it's fucking hilarious that a bunch of sad people who were miserable <laughs> had to watch a Saw Doctors game <laughs> what was it like for you because you, you were playing a, a, a show so like was there an atmosphere of note no, it was, I wouldn't even I wouldn't notice otherwise it, yeah. I don't think there was a huge uh, rugby contingent really from canvassing the room after the show I think everyone was everyone no one died that's true, and I, like, I should point out as well for any rugby fans who are listening who are very upset with my comments. It's more the fact that, like the the thing of you know, like the T shot comes out and says the entire nation is holding its breath, the entire nation is behind you. No, it isn't. It absolutely isn't. Some of us opt out. Okay, uh-huh. so yeah, the Schadenfreude is enjoyable. Less enjoyable though, and we should mention this because uh, in current Bono news, uh, he also said some other stuff on stage in recent days. So let's have a listen to that. And it's time, unfortunately, to get political. And those those beautiful kids at that music festival. Early morning, October 7th, as the sun is rising in the desert sky. Stars of David, they took your life, but they could not take your pride. Could not take your pride. Could not take your pride. So yeah, listen, uh, we're going to talk about Israel and Palestine for just a second, um, because it's unavoidable, and also, if you know, if you don't want to hear that kind of stuff, by all means, skip ahead, but um, that's Bono there, of course, doing very, very Bono things. I will say up top that, you know, I don't have enough education about this entire subject matter, and I don't think it's, you know, I think it is obviously a horrific thing that people were killed at a fucking music festival in Israel, but also, a genocide is occurring, fucking, you know, like... 
pro-Palestine, free Palestine. Um, do you think, and like this, I should say that this clip, this clip was used on on Twitter, where else, by the Israeli Defense Forces mm-hmm. and said, and I quote, this is our bloody Sunday. Yeah. I don't know where to begin, but uh, you did want to talk about this to some degree. I just, I, well, <laughs> I wanted to talk about it in the sense that having agreed to have done a top five uh, or whatever, top five, bottom five, on U2, one of my favourite bands, and then hearing Bono say something I find, not for the first time, obviously Bono, uh, not a particular political tentpole in, in, in my life, but uh, um, as we will probably get onto shortly with some clip, I know you're going to try and uh, make me hear, which I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. You know this story, right? I think so. Okay. Yeah, a famous we're, rock star talking about him, perhaps, is it? No, no, no. We'll, we'll get into this in a second. Um and um, yes, of course, um, the genocide of Palestinian people is way worse than anything that he's pretending to cry over there during his song. And the fact that he's striving on that grief uh, performatively makes my stomach turn. As a song intro yeah, as well. like He has done this stuff countless times. There's a, an absolutely beautiful performance of... Um, I think it's like Miss Sarajevo or something like that uh, on one of their live albums on Spotify. And unfortunately it starts with the 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 code of Bono, say, Bono saying uh, this song goes out to the great men and women of the American military. And I like <laughs> want to listen to this song so much and just have to go 18 seconds in so I don't have to hear him say that. And he just, he, I expect nothing and I'm still let down by him um, in the politics department. But I think that's why he has gotten to where he is, by being a um, sort of shit-eating grin lover of American military state and, uh, yeah, will shake hands with literally anyone he's told to shake hands with. I feel like he plays all sides. Yeah, He's not exactly playing both sides there. No, which really I think does. is kind of I should the, say my well, big issue. With I should it. say as well, he is referring to a specific part of this, and you know, I hope that he's also saying stuff about Palestine. I don't know if he is. I haven't seen clips for that, but also, and again, this being shared on the Israeli Defense Force thing is just a horrific thing to see as well. And like I say, you know, not to get hardcore into politics things, but I do have a problem with you know people being murdered at a music festival. You know, just because they're Israeli does not mean that they're not human beings. They were slaughtered. It's horrific. But I also have a massive problem, as we all should, with what is happening in Palestine. It's it's beyond horrific. It's dominating the, the media, as you might, as I'm sure you've seen. It's a it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, I yeah, I, I, I like I find I, I struggle with with Bono's place in all of this, as you might imagine. What clip were you referring to? Sorry, um, we had been previously talking about embarrassing Bono moments that we could use to maybe lighten the mood after this conversation. But yes, the, the uh, flag waving. Oh yes, great. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. Let's, do you know I've never seen or heard this clip? Well, that you're can't ab- be true. Every you're time, to miss every time I see someone sharing the YouTube video, you run away. I cannot click the play button. You know what it's about. I have obviously. never heard it before. Uh, here's Bono uh, in happier times for the band back oh. in like, what I believe is the 1980s. Uh, he's in San Francisco. They're jamming, and uh, this he sees a flag in the crowd. It has SF written on it, and the following occurs. Shins 
Cause if it does, I don't know how you can stand or stomach to wait that time this week. Cause you bastards left those people 11 dead, 55 wounded in the name of freedom. Fuck freedom! way worse than I thought it was going to be. Why did you do that to me? He sounds on drugs, I have to say. I think he might be drunk or on drugs in that video. I should say as I well. I have never heard Bono. I've listened to a lot of live Bono, a lot of YouTube concerts in my time. I've never heard him with that level of piss and vinegar. That is very strange. He and Edge appear Possessed. to be dressed as cartoon pirates in that one. And Adam Clayton, meanwhile, is wearing like dungarees and has shades on. That's That was a whole look for a while, sort of in that Rattling And they're doing era. their big yeah, jam. You were admiring the uh, prowess there, Tidy pocket, yeah. It's a real tidy pocket. Larry Mullen Jr. is like, I did not prepare for this yeah. at all. Neither and did the fan who didn't do anything wrong and it had a flag with San Fran- the San Francisco logo on it. SF, San Francisco, Is everybody. that a girl's name? What was that fan thinking? Like, through, like why is he abusing me? And yeah. when he goes, that's not how it is, mate. Yes. Very Richard Keys of him. Yes, but, uh, it is very But also, like, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, take it away. I mean, like, like, what is that accent, for a start, as you were saying there off mic? What well, is he talking about, as you were saying? Like, like what is... I don't know. He, he starts throwing up some certain statistics about people who have died. I don't know what side of the conflict he's talking about there. Is he talking about Bloody Sunday? Because I don't think it was 11... It was certainly more than 11 that died on Bloody Sunday, right? Um, in their beds as well? Was that, like, what is he talking about? Someone shot in their bed? Maybe this was something that happened in the news that week that just isn't quite as long-lasting in the memory, so it never yeah. got to me in, in my uh, my psyche. But, um, yeah, I've no idea what, what, he's, what he's on about there. But um, I can't believe you, you genuinely this. had never heard that clip before. I am... Um, Basically allergic to cringe, and I, <laughs> I'm going to need an adrenaline shot directly to my heart now. Like, okay, tell you what, me. I have one last clip on this subject, obviously, because you know, like this kind of fits in. There was a famous rock star did a podcast. We talked about this in the podcast at the time when it happened. Um, here is John Bon Jovi discussing Bono's very specific traumatic past. They, they hit a ten naturally. I have to imagine most of your career, you've been like, why would I alienate half the people? Certainly it wasn't as bad back then as it is now, but was that ever part of your analysis? Like, I've got a different thing I want to spread and I want to keep it as open to as many people as possible. Well, that would be an obvious answer, especially when I was a younger guy, when you had single-minded focus, which was simply to make records and entertain people. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would often bring up an example. So Bono is probably right at my age. He's a couple of months older, I think. His upbringing was obviously very different than mine. I never had the orange men walking through my neighborhood and saying, you know, get the Catholic kid and beat him up. You know, I didn't have any of that kind of turmoil in suburban New Jersey when you had a wonderful middle-class upbringing with two hardworking parents. Now, 
as we all know, the Kalini branch of the Orange Order were in fact non-existent. The most hardcore. <laughs> Didn't fucking exist. Because uh, this this raises the question. The poor though. lad. This raises the question: Is Bono going around and telling Bon Jovi, "Yeah, the Orange Men were after me in South Dublin"? Yeah. Anything's possible. No, he was, he's a Northsider. Bono's from. Oh yeah, Clon- sorry. Yeah, Cedarwood Road. Road. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the uh, Clontarf Glasnevin branch of the. Uh, <laughs> Which yeah. is again probably non-existent. No, probably, I don't think so. He says. But uh, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, print the legend. If it's Bono and Bon Jovi having a over a pint. My first ever gig. Stuff. Bon Jovi, my first ever gig. It's a pretty that? solid ticket. It was pretty fucking awesome, I'll yeah. tell you that. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty awesome. I think I've told the story 75 times, but yeah, I was like, what, was 2000? They were touring the Crush album, It's My Life was the big single. I was ask you. Incredible. And uh, Andreas Johnson and a young Bell X1 were the support. It was RDS Outdoor. Never been to a gig before. It was awesome. It was a hot summer night. And I really enjoyed it. That's great. It was a lightning strike at one stage while he was talking. It was great. No was it way. just at the... <coughs> no, no, before, again, I, 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 apologies to listeners who've heard this anecdote ten times, but, like, he was doing a... He was preparing for a ballad. I think the rest of the band went off stage for a smoke or something, and he was doing this big kind of, like, you know, bullshit, you know, heart-on-the-sleeve intro, and he was saying at one stage, he goes, and this next song, because that's all the angels out there. And then there was a... And, like, everyone went mental as you would, and he, like, ever the showman, he milked it, he knew what he was doing, he was, like, looking around a gog, and, and everyone was just going mental, and he was like, you sure got some powerful friends here in Dublin, oh, Craig goes mental, palm of his hand, and I was like, is this what gigs are like all the time? <laughs> is there always lightning? It, it was is there fun, always acts of magical? God? It was a fun show, the set was a weird, like, the backdrop was some kind of, like, they had, like, a bar on stage, and they had, and it said, bada bing. No I way. I swear to God. I don't think it was a reference to The Sopranos because, like, this it wouldn't was have been now. Yet. Oh, two thousand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think it was. I think it was just a weird, happy coincidence, or maybe, maybe he's friends with Steve Steve Van Zandt, and he was like, "I got the show coming out. I've got some uh, production stills. I need to here." Bring. You go, and Bon Jovi's like, "That's great. I'm going to show them to my oppressed Orange Man friend Bono." <laughs> <laughs> Will we just stick on you two? We scrap the rest of the new section. We just get the top five. What do you think? What time are we up? I mean. Well, you know, when in Rome, I reckon let's keep this U2 train on the tracks. It feels like a U2, U2 special, special yeah. at this stage, yeah. So let's let's just jump into the top five. Um, Do we need to talk about the sphere at all? I mean, go ahead. Have you, what content have you consumed regarding this sphere? Because well, I watched... Yeah, the, I haven't gone to Las Vegas, but... Um, yeah, seeing it in person is probably the, the greatest of all the contents. There but, was a uh, photo this week of Noel Gallagher taking a selfie at it. Yes, so that did, there was a there was a 30 minute documentary sort of thing. I watched last night. Oh, this is the Apple thing, is it? Possibly. Zane Lowe. Possibly. Zane Lowe, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is insufferable. <laughs> I know I'm potentially ruling out the opportunity of Zane Lowe ever playing my music on uh, his radio show if it still exists. What is the most or the most insufferable moments? Um, Zane Lowe just pretending to be uh, as struck by the sublime as he is when they show the sort of the various, you know, it, it, it's not during a concert, it's kind of during a sound check type thing where they're going through all the various um, video effects they've got going and his jaw, you would have to scrape it off the floor with the biggest shovel you've, you've, you can get your hands on. He is, if, um, sorry to cut you off, but if anyone somehow listening doesn't know what the, we're talking about, yes, can you describe what we're talking about? You two are playing a residency, which I believe is a, a number of months um, in this new structure in Las Vegas, Nevada called The Sphere 
Um, or actually, I believe it's just called Sphere. <laughs> Come on. Um, <laughs> a tribute to the 1996 classic, sci-fi. I'll have to take your word for that. Um, and seven, they are playing a tour, or they're playing a um, kind of, they're playing Octung Baby from start to finish with... Um, Decent album. Which is a great album. And this um, the, the, this sphere is, is sphere-shaped, or it's actually a, a demi-sphere, I guess, half of a sphere. And the inside of it is this the, the largest screen that's ever been built. Um, I believe they're also showing some Darren Aronofsky nature film <laughs> in between concert performances. Made can, specifically for this, I assume, is it? Um, the, the Aronofsky film made for the sphere, not the other way around, yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm sure people are now lining up to make works that will be exhibited in this space. So the structure itself is the screen, essentially. Yeah, like it's this much. gigantic cavernous thing and they are playing all kinds of visual surrealism yes. and, you know, kind of psychic. Like, people have made the obvious gag of, like, if you if you dropped acid and went in there, you'd probably never come out. Oh, it's, it would be terrible. Seen some it's stuff terrible. on social media. You've watched that documentary. Um, yeah, so give me more give me more Zane Lowe interactions. And I assume the band are being very, like, you know, we are just the coolest. They're, yeah, they're talking a lot about um, the various artists they got to work on particular visual effects for certain songs. One is an Irish artist, um, the name of whom escapes me, but you've probably seen the image of this uh, flag that's in the desert, but the flag is actually sort of smoke coming out. It doesn't have SF written on it, does it? It doesn't have SF, you two on it, no. Mate. But, uh... (laughs) Mate? Just basically anything that Bono says, saying low is is mouth agape the entire time, (laughs) and... He's just, he's not, it, it, he's not really listening. He's just so conscious that there's a camera there and trying to look um, enamored by his, his friend, Bono. I have yet to make a full call on this. And obviously social media clips versus actually being there is two different things. I think it kind of looks like crap. Crap is the wrong word, but I think it looks, I don't think I like it. I would go in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh no, I'd go. I'd 100% go. And I kind of resent the fact that they sent over a bunch of Irish journalists who weren't me. But nonetheless, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It looks too overwhelming and too much or something, but it's you too, so it should be. They're the most maximalist band of all time. I think it's, there's some strange parts of it where, as well where there is no PA. Every seat has its own set of speakers built into it. So apparently every seat has the same level of sound quality. It's not like if you're sitting off to the side, you might be getting less. It is all you know, seated. Basis. You can't stand. It's all seated. I think from the footage that I saw, it did seem like there was people standing around the stage, but they it, it might have only been a few hundred. I couldn't really tell. It's hard to get a sort of picture on, on the sort of actual scale of this thing, given that it's spherical and I have no um, yeah no way of, of gauging that. But um, it, yeah, the, the fact that it's, I, I imagine each seat would be pumping out sound that would be quite, quiet relative to a massive PA blasting out U2 music. That, that that would, you know, every gig I've ever been at has had one big PA and I would like it to remain that way. See, that's my, where I, I kind of, there's a bit of attrition for me because that to me is like art installation. That's not a gig. And I, I'm not disparaging the art installation. That's fine. Mm. But like, I'm just not getting gig vibes from it's a it bit at all, uh, planetarium you know? or, or kind um, of or, or like you know when you like uh, do you ever go to like w5 when you were a kid in school i never got to go to it's w5. like a science thing yeah. in in belfast open the titanic water i believe and there, there'd be like this again it's like a like a demi sphere mm-hmm. but it's 
like an observatory kind of thing. Okay. Or like you say, planetarium. And there's like stuff happening there. And it's like all this big thing. And it's an interactive experience. That's what I'm getting from this. It I'm, feels like something out of like a sci-fi film, like, you know, Sunshine or Vanilla Sky or Ex Machina. Like it's got that kind of weird thing where it's like... almost. The thing where it's like, you know, like the, we can change the mood to suit, you know, to suit you. Like, you know, nature can, can come, come out of nowhere. The idea like, that the outer part of it is also a screen... I think is extremely problematic. <laughs> and one, it's terrifying. And two, I mean, I'm sure Las Vegas, I've actually never been to Las Vegas, but I'm sure it's not without its light pollution, but it, it just seems very intimidating and Egregious. oppressive. Yeah. That who do we get in there after this is over? Like, Who would be a hilarious band to put Muse, in there? It's, I think it's Muse as the band. I don't know if they're big enough in the States. I'm not really sure. They will be now. I like a band like Muse or Pink Floyd. Yeah, it has to be an audiovisual thing. Like that, yeah, would good. you go and see Bob Dylan in the Sphere? Oh my God, it would be hilarious. And he had to. He, part of the contract was he had to do like audiovisual crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be great. I think Tool could do it. Tool could do. Would they be? I don't know what Metallica. Do. I think could probably do Metallica it. is a great shout. I think yeah. Metallica are kind of built for that, right? It's Coldplay, isn't it, really? Yeah, oh, there you 100%. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, it wouldn't happen because I, th- I think, yeah, you need a mainstream act, but, like, I think, you know, not that Nine Inch Nails aren't mainstream, but, like, a Nine Inch Nails gig would be fucking unreal. In there, you would you, know? you would never leave that venue. There's a part no of you you could not get back if you went to a Nine Inch Nails gig. The there. only way, like, it's not just the size of the venue. It's also, I assume, they're only going, because of the work that would go into it, you have to book 60 dates in this place for, the, for them for to, make to money. ever get this contract. Well, oh, actually, do you know, first of all, do you know how much it costs to build? No. This whole show. Any ideas? Any guesses? As in, including the building of the sphere itself or just you two's? I believe it's including the sphere itself. I'm going to say $10 billion. $3 billion. $2.3 billion. Yeah. Yeah. And you two are making a million a gig. 25 gigs. Whoa. Fair play. That's a lot of money. 25 gigs. Do we know, um, before we get to our top five, the most important question, um, because I've seen no mention of this, do we know how my man Bram Bram Vandenberg is getting on in the Larry Mullen hot seat? I assume he's doing a good job. Probably fine. Why is he your guy? Because I keep, um, I have this runner where I say his name in a weird American announcer voice. I've probably been in. Is he in another band? He was in some Dutch band. Yeah, I don't know. Like he never been. He was. He seems to be a bit of a nobody generally. Like said on this, and I don't bit of a nobody. That's not what I mean. Mean. Uh, What I mean is like sorry, Bram. Relatively unknown. He's somebody now. I'll tell you. Yes, exactly. They they said on the Zane Lowe documentary that he was seemingly a student of Larry. Now I don't know if that was a sort of a spiritual like he he followed you two around some kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi situation yeah or if actually Larry Mullen Jr if you're rich enough it will give you drum lessons which have you heard the new U2 go. song which I, I didn't choose for this list because Comic I thought it's, with it, the worst album art I've ever seen it's pretty seen. bad album art um, they're doing a riff on Blondie and I'm like so you can't go wrong mm-hmm. but it's a bit unfortunately they're also doing a riff on the Kaiser Chiefs <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not great I, I probably need to sit with them more but you know what can you do um, let's get into this top five let's set the tone though with a clip Whoa, 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 can I help you? Potato Man. Where the hell have you been? Okay, camera two. Uh, Excuse me, this is a restricted area. Take a hike, Kojak. Ah! One man, he resists. Hello, Springfield. It's me, Homer. What the bloody hell? Quiet, you. I know you youngsters want to see these rockin' rockers, but I also know you care about the race for sanitation commissioner. So let me give you the 911. 
The man's talking about waste management. That affects the whole damn planet. Oh, here we go. What do you say we slip out to Mo's for a pint? Can I come? No. Wankers. Now, Homer, I hear Ray Patterson is a fine public servant. Why should the people of Springfield... Why should they vote for you? That's a good question, Bono. Because I'd be the most whack, tripped-out sanitation commissioner ever! Can you dig it? Wow, look at him go. You're the real lord of the dance, Homer. Oh, oh, help me! Don't worry, folks. He'll get the help he needs. Uh, yes, cut to Homer getting mercilessly beaten by four men on the big screen. It's just it's just such a great bit. Everything from him whistling the song, Potato Man, it's fucking unreal. I have a theory that the first line that Bono says is Bono. And I have a theory that the rest of it isn't. They recorded their lines, it says. I mean, like uh, the edge sounds like he's doing a Beatles impression, if it is. I, I don't know what, what, what the story is. Yeah, but there's, a bit, there's a bit of that. Um, okay, I, look. I, I do think I, there's part of me that thinks the uh, Adam Clayton gag is a bit... Much. <laughs> then there's <laughs> a whole the gag. Context. There's a post-credits gag where they're on the plane back to Ireland. My spoons. And he's got a spoon collection, which I never understood. And then the episode finishes with this episode is dedicated to Linda McCartney. It's yeah, like, what's going on? All very strange. Uh, listen, uh, top five best and worst U two songs. Uh, who goes first? Do, you, do we want to finish on best or finish on worst? So, I think given the amount of ribbon we've doing we've been doing on U two today, we have to finish on worst. Finish on worst. Yeah. So that means you're going first. Yes. All right. Uh, so you're on again. A reminder: David Tapley is on best U two songs. Uh, take it away. So I did want to acknowledge the fact that we're talking about one of the most famous bands in the world, uh, and this is also an Irish podcast, and what can be said that hasn't already been said about Where the Streets Have No Name, or Beautiful Day, or whatever. So I set myself a set of parameters that hopefully for the uh, U2 fan that doesn't go too deep on them, uh, we'll be able to find some some good tracks here. So the the rules I set myself were none of my songs are on the U218 singles uh, compilation, oh, 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 oh. or the best of 1980s, 1980 to 1989, or the best of 1990 to 1999, or whatever it is, 2000. So none of these songs are singles or on the greatest hits albums. So um, I will preface this as well by <laughs> seeing Tapley's list earlier come into my emails, <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is <laughs> happening here? And at the bottom of the email, the first line was, I'm not crazy. I will explain. And I've now gotten the explanation. But will you go crazy if you don't go crazy tonight? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not my fifth. But if it was, that'd be amazing. Instead, we're going to have a bit more of a better start with this uh, track, which is my number five.
someone was listening to William Orbit. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I um, I agree. I was going to say he did produce this, but he didn't know it was actually Flood, <laughs> who I feel like is the yin to William Orbit's Yang. Yes, Yang. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was, of course, Lemon, which is off um, their. Um, eighth album, Zeropa, which came out in 1993, an often overlooked album that I think is actually pretty all killer, no filler. Please check out the record, Zeropa, and please check out the track, Lemon, which, um, before the, the U2 anoraks that are listening to this podcast are going to jump down my throat and say, that was actually technically a single. It wasn't. It was a specific, uh, like, dance mix of it was a single, and that was what was on um, U2 18 singles compilation. This is the original cut that I'm referring to with the entire verse that's just left completely instrumental, which is possibly my favourite part of the song. So this is a song about um, Bono. Um, He wrote about his mother. He found some old videotapes of her um, at a friend's wedding or something like that. And it was this sort of... um, um, the Fableman's type moment where he was looking at this footage of his mother dancing around wearing a lemon-coloured dress and watching this footage as as she's uh, not around for him to speak to. Um, it was uh, made a profound impression on him and he wanted to immortalise that moment in this song. So that is my number five, a song I think uh, maybe a lot of people at the time would have, at the time of, of the album's release, would have thought was kind of weird, Bono singing in this strange kind of Prince-esque falsetto and this strange guitar sound from the edge, not sort of akin to his normal signature edge delay sound, this sort of chopped up techno Berlin vibe that they were going for in the early 90s. But I think it's a a great distillation of that weirder side of them that doesn't come out too often until this very list. Yeah, I mean, like, I love Experimental U2. It doesn't always work. And I do have a song to reflect that in my top five. But... um, they're, they they do the, the rock thing incredibly well, so why do people panic when they do this, you know? Not that everyone, I'm to lots of U2 fans who love mm. this song, it's an amazing song, it's a hell of a choice to kick off your list, but I mean, I think there are people who want them to just kind of stay in their lane, right? Of course, yeah, no, I think that's that comes with the territory of being one of the world's biggest mainstream rock acts, or pop acts, if you do a drastic left turn... Um, or left field turn or whatever, like they did with Actung Baby and Zeropa, people are going to get whiplash and, you know, maybe fans of of the previous rootsier, rockier stuff had just a bit of inertia, I think, were coming along. But I think history has proven you two were, the, were correct in, in, uh, in their early 90s output, I think. Well, were they correct in their more recent output? That's the to, question. I'm going to hazard a guess and say yes. Have you seen the film Flora and Son? Uh, not yet, no. <laughs> Currently making waves with people saying that Eve Hewson playing working class Dublin is in fact offensive. Uh, she features on the cover of the CD single for this song. And in fact, it's a, a song that's addressed to her and her sister. And it goes a little something like this.
That is Get Out of Your Own Way uh, from 8th of December 2017, the fourth track on their 14th studio album, Songs of Experience, Get Out of Your Own Way. Fun fact, uh, now Encore did a live show in Galway once, several years ago, and when we played this song, I think it was like just like Songs of the Week or something, when we played this song and it hit the chorus, everyone in the room burst out laughing. Oh wow! Unprompted, you know, they were just like, "It's a that's an audience you can hang your hat on." A comical, <laughs> a comical thing. Um, There's a couple of moments like this on recent U2 albums where I'm just I can't not hear Ryan Tedder singing these lyrics to Bono before he goes into the vocal booth to do them himself. Well, and I guess he did because he's a producer on this well, track. There you go. Okay, fair Fucking enough. Hell. Producers: Ryan Tedder, Steve Lillywhite, Brent Kutzel, Joylon Thomas, and Jack Knifley. This the song needed this many producers apparently. It's a live version, obviously. Yeah, to make it well, it's even then it still didn't work. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like that. Ryan Tedder, he plagued pop music. Hey, he wrote a banger for the Top Gun movie. Okay. Oh yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Let's call, worry about it right now. Yeah, let's That's call it space. Space at the moment tonight. When they it, do yes. the, uh, yeah. the the beach football scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I think he, you know, has a lot to answer for. Is what I'm trying to say. Get it of your own way is lyrically addressed to the daughters of lead vocalist Bono, actress Eve Hewson, and Jordan, both featured on the cover, with words of encouragement to not be one's wor- one's own worst enemy. Uh, you'll like this, Tappy. The lyrics also reference the U.S. political crisis. Um, musically, the song was compared like to the band's... Exclusively related to his two <laughs> yeah. daughters as well, yeah. Wonderful. Musically, the song was compared to what 2000 single? Oh, um... Did, uh, oh, fuck, hang on. Come on. Yeah, I know, it's right there. It's basically like the... Like the, the yeah. like, I have no idea. Beautiful day. Oh, course. sorry, a U2 single. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, sorry, I should have made that clearer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah Stan by Eminem. Uh, segwaying, <laughs> segwaying between the end of Get It Up Your Own Way and beginning on the album's next track, American Soul, is a spoken word segment by... Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar. Yes, number one. Playing what Bono called a, quote, cracked preacher. Lamar gives an ironic taste on the Beatitudes. Aww. It's just a mess. Um, it's a comical song. I had to pick it. I think it's um, it's 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 diet U two. It's not even diet. It's U two zero. You know, it's just so like when when that bit kicks in, you know, and that is the very kind of beautiful day esque. You know, I can see it in it. All right, all right. It's like sure, this works. This works as a U two an- anthem, but it's just so watered down. It feels like like a band running out of ideas fast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I. Th- I think what they did in the early 90s when they were able to pivot to something that was obviously maybe turned a lot of their fans against them, but, I mean, they have a billion of them. So as long as they keep half their fan base at any given time, they'll be fine. Um, It seemed more natural because it was music that came out of the space, which was they went to Hansa Studios and were living that Lou Reed, David Bowie, Berlin lifestyle. That's just so much cooler than getting in those Swedish AI-generated musicians and coming up with stuff like this, but something tells me that's not going to be the last of that type of song on your list. We I'm, shall see. What's next on yours? Well, I think um, we've we've strayed too far away from from Dublin with that sort of um, polished Hollywood, and we need to um, bring it back home, as it were.
that is a sort of homecoming, the first track off The Unforgettable Fire, my favourite U2 album, um, or at least it is at the moment. Um, this is a song that I think sort of epitomises that early sound of theirs when they kind of, it wasn't the raw very beginnings of them being a kind of punk rock band and it was all energy. This was them starting to hone this into a sort of more mature act for the for, for maybe the first time in their career. Um, it all seemed a little bit more complex and a little bit deeper and there was some musical references to things outside of their own world like you can hear Adam Clayton playing above the 12th fret there, definitely getting those Joy Division references in and... Um, there's a specifically, I, I mean, I, I, I put in the album cut there. I didn't want to take the piss too much of my list and say specifically, can we please use the Wide and Awake in America live version? Um, but that is absolutely required listening to anyone who um, likes the sound of this tune. It's that That's way more magazine, wire, post-punk sort of stuff that's... Yeah, I think I think maybe the difference between our lists is going to be this. <laughs> this song reminds me of you two listening to cool music, and I feel like a lot of your songs may be may, may come from the wrong place. They're probably <laughs> trying with best intentions, but but enough about your list for the moment. Let's bask in the in the glory while we have the the few the few tunes left. Um, yeah, where where do you stand with with sort of the earlier period pre Joshua Tree? You too. What word do you? Oh, I, I'm into it. I mean, like, I think uh, "Out of Control" is one of their best songs. Very early cut. Yeah. Love that song. I mean, like, I fir- admittedly, I first heard it via the motion picture "Intermission," where it plays. Uh, is on the intro to the film. Possibly, it's actually their first single. I think it's, it's a fucking great single. song. Um, no, I, I love a lot of it. I mean, like, like I really. They're an act that inspire, and Bono in particular, of course, inspires derision from the man on the street, but they're also one of the biggest bands of all time. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, to get to dig into your fandom, because, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about, you know, Bono will say shit that makes you're like, you know, I mean, like, is he is he the Irish Kanye West? You know, you're like, come on, Bono, for fuck's sake. Um, but I'm wondering, like, you know, where, like, about your U2, like, do you ever find yourself kind of sheepishly defending them in a pub, or are you proud and out? Have you seen them live? Like, like, like what is your story with U2? I've seen them live a bunch of times. I, um... Love you too. I will always defend their music. I will defend Bono in most cases. I think a lot of the time, the only thing you have to really defend Bono for is just his cheese and his sort of, he's a Hollywood guy and that's, you know, people who don't like that, that's fair that you're never going to change your mind on that. Where I, I, I'll never defend one of his um, abhorrent political opinions that he espouses or, you know, him shaking hands with George Bush or any of that sort of stuff. Do you like that Ireland has produced, like, one of the biggest rock stars of all time? Yeah, I, I used to think it was so cool. You know when you're, like, really young and you're like, okay, so, like, Pele is the best footballer, um, Hamilton is the best boxer, and Hendrix is the best guitarist and whatever, uh, John Bonham's the best, you just have like, you know who's the best at everything, you know, in your sort of own mind. It. I just, I felt like in that era of U2, they were always just referred to as the biggest rock band on the planet, and I was like so proud of that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we, you know, we mightn't be good at the football or the rugby, but uh, at least we have the biggest rock band in the, on the planet. And uh, I suppose that is... Uh, is that still true? Maybe. I mean, look at the sphere. I mean, who else is playing in the sphere? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think. I think we do. I think we. We like Coldplay. I think are kind of hot in the heels at the moment. With like their, the like bravado of the live show is kind of. And they clearly fun. took their cues from you too. A hundred percent. Yeah, but like, especially in the live arena. Of course. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly what I'm. Um, I'm getting at there. Um, 
I don't I think there's like a, enough of a margin that until you two just completely stop they won't necessarily catch up but um I, I think they're probably I think they're probably the contemporaries. The only problem with someone like Coldplay as an as a comparison is I don't think they were ever as critically acclaimed outside of the first two Coldplay records yeah, yeah, as yeah, you sure. two had been for across their entire eight albums yeah, yeah. of like this stuff is actually good and then okay there's some there's some kind of crappier stuff that I'm sure is all over your list but um, <laughs> you know um, I think Coldplay fairly quickly went into that sort of not particularly critically acclaimed but still massive and mainstream and, and, and selling Got much more commercial nakedly commercial and I like some of, like, I, I think Coldplay have some very good stuff but uh, anyway look uh, let's stick with the bad it's back to my list no 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 first, this I, I debated putting this in because I don't think it's I don't think it's terrible I think it's just a failed experiment and I found myself literally like I texted Michael Pope and I was like, is this good? Is it bad? I can't decide. He thinks it's good. I had to come down on bad because I just, I, I don't think it comes together. But here we go. I know what this track is. Do you? Yeah. What this album is the song? What album's it from? It's from the album Pop. It is from the album and Pop. And it's the song Numb by U2. No, you're right. Ah! <laughs> I bought two new seats. So yeah, we, we, we were even debating there. That's Miami <laughs> by U2. Not to be confused with the Will Smith song or the Taken Back Sunday song with the same name. Um, yeah, like, Edge has been listening to his Massive Attack. He certainly has. Which is no bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I like the drum sound. And Adam did say it sounds a little bit like a proto-St. Anger snare, which of course... No, it's 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 the aforementioned John Bonham... Uh, oh, 100%. It's just a really, um, really tight brass snare drum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, the song is a ramble, it's a meander, it's meant to be kind of hypnotic and dangerous, I think, but it just sounds a bit too, like, they kind of phoned it in, like, they kind of got bored of their own song or something, and and it's kind of just this for the most part, like, it is very repetitive, and I just think Bono is not Bonoing well, you know, it's, I bought two new suits, Miami, pink and blue, Miami, I took a picture of you, my mammy, getting hot in a photo booth, Miami, I said you look like a Madonna, you said maybe, you said I want to have your baby, 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 we could make something beautiful, something that wouldn't be a problem, we could make something beautiful, something that wouldn't be a problem, at least not in Miami, you know, some places are like your auntie, but there's no place like Miami, my mammy, Miami, my mammy, now I know, if you do the thing with lyrics, you read them out loud, with no, like, you know, like you make them turn into crazy, that's like saying if you slow down a tackle that, you know, you break someone's ankle. It looks so much worse when you play it slowed down. And Bono's not that kind of player. No, he's definitely not. And uh, certainly not in this. I just I want to like this song, and I I do like like I say the more experimental stuff like Pop and Zaropa. I, I think that they get too much criticism for, and like you know a band should be encouraged to try different things. This to me just doesn't ever find the thread, and I wanted to kind of have an example of that. So that's my yeah, like Eno and any sort of collaborations with him. He used to always push them to do weirder stuff, but it feels like he actually lost the point of this yeah, one, which yeah, it was yeah. probably supposed to be a genre exercise in doing Massive Attack and doing trip hop or whatever. Um, but it just, it maybe it just doesn't go hard enough or something. Or I think that's it. Yeah, I think it actually, despite its flirtations, it's actually quite tame. 
Mm. You have the pieces there, but they don't click together and they don't click badly enough. You know, it's not serrated enough. It's a bit too clean and polished and kind of like, hey, we had a go, didn't we? That's exactly it. I think like if you're looking at the trip hop genre, say those like genre tropes where it's like very heavily filtered vocals or like a lot of modulation Mm -hmm. and like all of these kind of things. It's just like missing all of that. So it's like it feels just very beige. Yeah. To do it as that as that genre exercise, and it even kind of feels like it's unfinished to a degree. It's like, oh, we've got the drum sound, great. Let's just throw a lot of stuff on top of it and leave it. You know. And you know what? There's definitely plenty of B sides and works in progress that I have heard that it is literal unfinished material that sounds not too dissimilar to that, but because it is. It's got the stamp of approval. Un- this is unfinished on it. Mm. You kind of are able to appreciate it for what it is. Be like, that was a weird avenue they started to go down. That's yeah. interesting. And but- chances are you can probably hear the idea there yeah. somewhere. There's like a, a, a maybe a nugget of an idea somewhere. It's but- um, it's what I like to refer to when I see a film that doesn't quite work. It's a noble failure. That's my number four. Can I have your number three? Well, maybe we're going down a similar sort of path with their attempts at... Um, experimenting with some of the more electronic and sort of dancey elements but uh, instead of going down the avenue that we went down in Miami we're going to take a trip to Zubanhof Yes, das ist das Station, Subanhof, which is uh, the opening track of the aforementioned Achtung Baby album that we all love, right? Oh yeah, uh, Zustation, this is one of my favourite U2 songs. Yeah, It's off my favourite U2 album. Uh, I think it's an absolute classic. I'm delighted that you fucking picked it. And I think, in fact, there was a compilation CD that Q Magazine did a few years ago, mm-hmm. RIP Q Magazine, and they had people covering Octum Baby songs. And yes. Nine Inch Nails. Is that right? Oh, phenomenal. Did phenomenal. A cover, did a cover of Zoo Station. Whoever okay. curated that was just on the money. Like We might come back to that compilation a little bit later. <laughs> um, Let's call it a teaser, folks. This uh, this song is, yeah, we would, would open a lot of the concerts back in the Octung Baby era, the pop tour. Are and they all doing that it now? Stuff. Sorry, because they are, certainly are, are. Are they playing it chronologically? Yes. Current? Okay. Yes. Um, so I believe there's some incidental music as they walk out on stage previously it had been space oddity i don't know if it's still that it had been bowie for years they'd walk out to bowie and then go into whatever it's like the, the pearl and dean theme now yes <laughs> the europa <laughs> cinemas theme they walk out to the long the, quiz theme if I they walked out to the europa league anthem that would be very sounds like it could be a, a ryan tetter penned <laughs> You're obsessed with Ryan Tedder. I just see the world was obsessed with Ryan Tedder. Still is. Um, So this song was inspired by um, post World War II Berlin when the Allies bombed the city. Um, They basically destroyed the walls of the Berlin Zoo, and the animals ran free and were going ape shit literally in in the streets of Berlin. And the 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 sort of visual idea of that inspired Bono to. to want to open an album where 
proverbially the animals were, were being set loose on the, you know, the Octung Baby album was the sound of a band tearing down the Joshua Tree in the way that I guess this was happening in in Berlin in the uh, early to mid-1940s. So, Am I right um, in saying that people did kind of initially kind of reject, not reject this album, but they it wasn't necessarily the U2 that they wanted? No, I'm not sure. I'm not I sure because was, I, one was still a big single. Okay, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I think there was some resist because it was like, oh no, they've gone industrial or something, mm-hmm. you know? I, I'm not sure. I think with what Topley said earlier, and like when you do make a bit of a left turn, you're probably going to be met with a bit of resistance. It's the classic thing, you know. You know what I mean? Like it's, I've said before, like genre fiction, you know, it's like people want the same but different, mm-hmm. you know, like like every time, and it's like, well, that's fucking. From know. the artist's perspective, you can't win. Do you no, know what I mean? You can't. Not. If you're successful, like, you can't win. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, you just have to hope that time. It will it's be good kind to you, to you yeah, and yeah, exactly. it certainly has for this record. Yeah, I don't think it was. I, I don't think it was critically panned or anything. I, I it did well, but I think there may have been, you know, pockets of the YouTube contingent that were like, "We wanted another one of the last one." Yeah, but that's you're always going to get that. So. Yeah, for sure. And if they did think that they were wrong, and they should be ashamed of themselves because this is one of the greatest bangers of all time, and opens up one of the greatest records of all time. And yeah, I said. Unforgettable Fire is my favourite YouTube album. It's probably Acton Baby, I'm not really sure. It changes often, but this certainly is one of my favourite songs. And is my third favourite song not on a Greatest Hits or Singles compilation. How is this not on a Greatest Hits? I, I, do they only, like, because I, like, when it started up there, I was kind of surprised. The Greatest Hits compilations are kind of short. They're CD era, I don't think, I think there were only two CDs, so they were only like... Oh, would you have like 24 maybe? Something like that, and I guess yeah. in between 1990 and 2000... Too many bangers to... There's probably too many bangers even on that one album to, to include. Are they the greatest example of a Greatest Hits band? Mm, no. Is that damning? Like, Is being a Greatest Hits band a good thing or a bad thing? Do we do we tend to kind of... I think it's a sign of a very successful band. If you have like a massive vault of Greatest Hits like U2 or The Beatles or Rolling Stones or... <laughs> I would stick on U2 albums and listen to them from start to finish often. In a way, I wouldn't for a band like the Rolling Stones, who I've struggled to get into because of their lack of a, in my opinion, I feel like I've talked about this on this podcast before, but um, I found it difficult to find an album of theirs that I like from start to finish. So I feel like they're a great greatest hits band. Yeah. They probably have one of the strongest greatest hits in them. But for me, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't find an album as strong as, say, Octung Baby or The Joshua Tree. It's uh, it's 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 number three for me now, and um, I, I've mostly picked live clips apart from the last one. So we're going to a we're going to a ceremony for this. We're going to a big prestigious night out for for Hollywood, and uh, the boys are on the stage. Let's have a listen. Some father, son, is it his or is it mine? Very emotional there. It's Bono and the boys. There's a moment in this uh, live version where he has he has a big like whoa 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 like it like, does like a real like vocal gymnastic <laughs> thing. It is of course the hands that built America America by U two 
And uh, it, this is at the Oscars. It was nominated for an Oscar. What film is it from? Gangs of New York, directed it's by Martin Scorsese. Directed by Marty Scorsese, Gangs of New York. It is My the opinion song. of that film, mid. I, that's everyone's opinion. Is it? Okay. I Every, thought for the first time two months ago. Yeah, people think it's like probably like his worst movie. I liked Doon Doon. it. I liked it. But I don't love... Yeah, I, Gangs of New York, it's tough. It's tough sell. It's it's very sloggy. I like Day-Lewis's performance. DiCaprio is not great. Um... Yeah, it's a mess. It has a bizarre opening fight scene where at one stage it looks like a... It's X- the best bit of the film. It looks like an X-Men movie at one stage where, like, Nightcrawlers just popped in for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Scorsese, the great Martin Scorsese, of course. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is in cinemas on the time that this podcast comes out. Guys, three and a half hours, I've seen it. I'd recommend that you go. We love Marty, don't we? We do indeed. Does what's, does Marty have any other sort of um, links to you two that we can draw into this? Well, he's a Stones man. You know, he certainly is a Stones he, man. He, we know from his song selections and, of course, um, shooting documentaries about them. I don't know. Is you two love? I mean, he obviously commissioned them to do a song for Gangs in New York, and it, it makes sense. It's about Irish immigrants mm-hmm. in New York. And Bono, of course, would lap that up with a big old spoon. I mean, should have probably gotten the Pogues to do it. Or, I mean, his old buddies, the Dropkick Murphys, could have probably done a better version of sort of um, Irish-American expatism. This is a dirge, though, isn't it? Um, it certainly is. I just find it really boring, and uh, it, so it, it didn't win the Oscar. I think, if I am, if I'm right in saying this, I think it was Eminem for Eight Mile. What year was this? Two thousand. Two thousand and three. Two thousand three. Uh, it won the Golden Globe, though, I believe. Two thousand three Oscar. No. So yeah, Adam will look it up. Um, yeah, it's just a really boring song, and it's so worthy, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's just worthy, and it's like you know, oh, you know. These are the hands that built America. Do you know that I technically couldn't have chosen this for my list because it is on one of their greatest hits? You're albums. joking! <laughs> You're joking! I'm not joking you at all, man. It's not good, and and it just, it, it it tries. It strains so hard for weight. It strains so hard for emotion, and I'm just not buying it. And I remember actually, I remember like watching it, watching this performance live. I think it was during that time period where I used to stay up for the Oscars, and I was just like, "This is Dullsville." I was like, well, "Wouldn't it be interesting to see you two win an Oscar?" But mm. this is so fucking boring, Adam. It wasn't. Lose Yourself from 8 Mile that won that year um, also nominated was I Move On from Chicago music by John Kander Burn It Blue from Frida music by Elliot Goldenthal uh, The Hands That Built America from Gangs of New York music and lyrics by U2 and The Father and Daughter from the Wild Thorn Marys movie music and lyrics by Paul Simon uh, Elliot Goldenthal mentioned there who of course did the Batman Forever uh, score I believe incredible score and also did also wrote a, uh, a piece of music that was rejected for the ending of Heat, and it's actually quite an incredible piece of music by itself. And of course, Batman Forever, we cannot mention my favourite U2 song of all time, Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss, Kiss Me, Kill Me. me. The best U2 song, in my opinion. Uh, that's my number three worst, though. Let's go to your next one, please. So, if people are keeping score on albums here i mean who's winning (laughs) um i think we have a uh split tie between zeropa the unforgettable fire and actual baby and this is going to split the vote even further and if any of you are wondering which is the best track on the joshua tree that isn't where the streets have no name i still haven't found what i'm looking for um with or without you and whatever the fourth and fifth and sixth song it's this one
And that is the track One Tree Hill. Hard to say with my double accent. One Tree Hill. One Tree Hill. Um, by the band U2 off the album The Joshua Tree. Um, so this is a song that was inspired by U2 visiting um, uh, Australia and New Zealand on a tour uh, in 1984. So um, after a long flight to Auckland, Bono was uh, a little bit jet-lagged and wanted to go see some sights to uh, wear himself out for the day. And he was brought to a um, site called One Tree Hill, um, which is a place of specific significance to the Maori people and um, it is, as the name would suggest, this gigantic hill and there's a single sort of I'm not sure exactly what the type of tree is but it sort of looks like a sort of Christmas tree type pine tree shape and um, uh, Bono was able to walk up the top of this hill and look down over the, the town and was overcome by the sublime views that he saw and uh, the man that was showing him around Auckland at the time became a sort of U2 stalwart and um, joined their crew. Uh, he unfortunately died in a um, motorcycle accident, I believe, uh, a couple of years later while doing a job for the band and Bono wrote this song to sort of... Um, in his memory of uh, the sort of the, one of the great experiences that he gave to Bono in his life, uh, and sorry that man, I have to actually give him his name is Greg Carroll. Um, so he was on sort of the U two crew for a long time, but uh, yeah, that that's like pretty much the only song on the Joshua Tree that isn't one of the big singles, and it is a total banger in my opinion and inspired the title of a television show that I've never watched. I watched it. And? I liked it for a time. <laughs> I, when I was working in Extravision, I'd watch it. It was kind of like, I didn't watch the OC, I watched One Tree Hill. Mm. They had some very good needle drops in that uh, in that show, I must say. It was teen angst bullshit, but uh, I, I powered through the first three seasons at least, Whoa. before eventually giving up. Um, where does this song rank in the U2 like, fandom? Like, 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 How do they revere it? If it's not on a Greatest Hits or if it's not a single? I, mean, I like, don't know. I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's a bit of a Malcolm in the Middle situation <laughs> in that it's surrounded by its musical siblings of, you know five or six of the biggest songs ever. <laughs> so it's probably an often, you know, this would be the best song on 99% of albums, uh, of rock albums of the, the 1980s. And yet it's, you know, the seventh best song on the Joshua Tree. But fortunately for me, it's the second best song in my list. It's a great choice. I do love it. And uh, I will counter you now with, um, I mean, like, it's just, there's, I, I think that the, there's no... This is an open and shut case, you know. Colombo wouldn't need to say one more thing. This <laughs> a just... short episode of Colombo. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a full minute here. Uh, this is from the Brit Awards. Oh no! And I want us to, you know, to get as much of this experience as possible. And uh, yeah, a predictable one, sure. But you know, listen, what can I say? Here it is.
Get on your boots. Uh, it's time to go to work. It's you two. It's uh, Get On Your Boots, everybody. 2009. Lead single off what album? No Line on the Horizon. It is, in fact, No Line on the Horizon. An album I like. Um, the lyric delivery on this song has been said to resemble Bob Dylan's subterranean homesick <laughs> blues. Yeah. No, it actually it is. You know that one? Uh, yeah, I know that one, yeah. I'll play it for you later. I do know that one. Uh, it, the song received mixed reviews. Um... <laughs> Dividing critics. Was there, was there a mix of opinions in this? It says here that it premiered on the Irish Independent website. I work there now. That's weird. Um, let's see. You two. Pull, the, pull that exclusive. I'm going to. 100% go, get into them archives. When I'm in there tomorrow morning, <laughs> I'm going to be like, hang on a minute. Uh, originally known as Four Letter Word and later as Sexy Boots. Get on Your Boots originally as demo that Edge recorded at home with the software Garage Band. Yup. <laughs> uh, it went through many iterations At one point the main guitar riff was dropped Leading producer Steve Ladywhite to describe it as What, Tapley? Shit A Beck B-side Oh wow <laughs> That could have been cut from the album um, Yeah Steve Ladywhite, um, the voice of reason <clears throat> Thematically Beck's got some great B-sides Fuck Thematically Lily White the song is about Bono taking his family on vacation to France And witnessing warplanes flying overhead at the start of the Iraq war some of the lyrics are from the perspective of a man writing a letter to his first love. The Let Me In The Sound chant was developed comparatively late in the recording sessions. What a shock. <laughs> uh, at a speed of 150 BPM, this is one of the fastest U2 songs out there. Described by Q Magazine as, quote, demented electro grunge employing a proto-rock and roll riff for propelling into the future before taking a sudden hip-hop twist midway through. Okay. Hot press. <laughs> Sorry, it's just the, the absolute like lack I of. I can't you. believe you've got one more song to pick after this. It's so funny. Hot press, um, aka you know YouTube magazine, described the song as a thoroughly contemporary, intense electro grunge exercise with Adam Clayton's powerful bass to the fore, mixing hip hop influences with shades of the Rolling Stones, Queen, Bob Dylan, and the Beatles. Who wrote that? Um, I'll tell you who wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Dave I'll tell you what his name was. No, I wasn't working there in 09. Uh, Stephen Dalton here with a track by track review, it says. Matt Dalton. Uh, remixed by Justice. Okay. It was probably better than the original. Probably. Um, yeah, I don't know. It says, like, mm, I don't know. I mean, like, I think people were, were not hard enough on this song. What do you think? I like, I have such a soft spot for this album because it was after they had done. The two big ones. They had reapplied for the position of uh, biggest band in the world, which they kept saying after pop, and uh, when they did um, all that you can't leave behind. And then this was like Eno has his hands all over this album again, except for like this particular track is 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 a gross misappropriation of time. Well, spent. he's on it. Brian Eno, Daniel Lanois, and Declan Gaffney are the producers. It's Lanois, like, it's it screams Lanois to Really? Me. You yeah. think so? A little bit, yeah. Well, like, more so than Eno, absolutely. Like. Yeah, I mean, Danois has a certain penchant for the cheese. I, like, see any co- a collaboration between him and the late, great Robbie Robertson, and you'll hear some of the most incredible cheese in your life. But it's cheese in the way that, like, a 1980s cop noir film is, not like a... 
classy cheese. Well. The edge is just her, the white stripes for the first time. It's, it's like, a, it, oh, it's that. Marks and Spencer's brie. It's is a what smorgasbord, it is. is what you're telling me. A cheese board, to, if you will. Uh, slice of cheddar yeah. from Aldi. Yes. It's um, you know, it's too cute by half. Um, it says here that it was scheduled to receive its world radio premiere on the Colum and Jim Jim Breakfast Show on RT Two FM at ten past eight in the morning. Very precise. Is, sorry, does, I does miss someone, that show quite a lot. I have to say, does someone not have like? Is it Dave Fanning who's like always playing? He has the exclusive. Listen, for my album. friend, you've oh. read my mind. Here we go. It's supposed to be played then on the 19th of January 2009 by the band's longtime friend and favoured disc jockey, <laughs> Dave Fanning. However, after a nearly 30 second sample of the song was leaked onto the internet, I mean, you can't keep this gold under wraps, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, the song was made available in the iTunes store for purchase an hour before its first play by Dave Fanning, and the band decided to begin streaming it on YouTube.com later that day. There you go. Uh, Friendship it, with Dave Fanning ended. Uh, not quite. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Adam Clayton said that, uh, you know, hey, Adam, why do you think the song is so divisive? He said, interestingly, it's going off live. I think probably what happened was a common YouTube problem. We probably worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. Instead of executing one idea well, we probably had five ideas in the song and it just confused people. They weren't sure what they were hearing. Uh, Larry Mullen Jr., never a man to be shy about these things, said uh, le- releasing it as a lead single was, quote, a catastrophic choice. <laughs> And that it was, he quote, hates that the beginning of the end, we never recovered from it. No one hates you two more than Larry Mullen. <laughs> it's unbelievable. He's the voice of reason he is in the band. like, oh my God, my heart goes out to him. And yeah, cause Do you the, think he's sitting back now looking at that sphere being like, fucking hell, my eyesight couldn't even co- couldn't the, compete. <laughs> on the Zane Lowe thing I mentioned, I was watching, they're like, oh, it's really hard for Larry. <laughs> He has to he has to watch some other guy play the drums. He's not watching. He's not that. watching he's that. In fucking yeah. Caesar's Palace. He's also at the craps he, table. He's in the video for the single though, the new he single. So is. he played on the new single. Um, I think he played on like all the new all the new tracks. The album didn't do terribly well. That's what, I think that's what Larry meant by beginning of the end because obviously the band are still here. Adam Clayton would later attribute to the song's lukewarm response to the album's reception and the band playing fewer songs from the album as the three sixty degree tour went on, saying, "Quote the single tour. the single didn't work, and when the single doesn't work, people don't have a way into the record." That's my number two. Yep. Yeah, um, I saw that U2 360 tour. I think that was the first time I saw them. Uh, I wasn't one of those lucky chosen few to be at Slane back in the Jason was, Mark tour days. It was great. Did you watch the football match? Do you no, remember? I was at the other one. Because they did two. They did two nights. Okay, yeah, the one enough. I was at, it didn't have the football, but it did have Red Hot Chili Peppers and Coldplay amongst the support acts. And I don't That's remember. That's class. I That's don't remember, buying for your book. Like, yeah, I, 100%. I, I, parachutes era Coldplay and Californication yeah. era Chili's. I mean, come on. Like, uh, just peak. It was pretty peak incredible. Everything. It was there, pretty yeah. incredible. I don't remember Coldplay playing at all. Um, but yeah, it was a, a big day out. Uh, how was the 360 thing? It was really cool. Like, I loved that sort of the big spider thing they had at the time. It was, I think, the last time Bono's voice was impressive. It was the last time he did, the aforementioned tune on this, in this conversation, they did a version of Miss Sarajevo and he sang the Pavarotti part and he was able to, still able to do it. And I remember. Did he dedicate it to the US military that night? He dedicated it to. um, Dublin. No, he (laughs) did. Ireland. He dedicated it to Darth Vader. <laughs> I was going to say someone else there, and I won't uh, make that joke. But anyway, um, yeah. So I think that was probably the, that. That album is the last time I think he still had the chops, the, the pipes to do it. Having said that, that clip that you just played, he is out of breath like a motherfucker, <laughs> and that like he's run. He he did. I should say as well for in in his defense when he's doing the let me in the same thing, he is jumping up and down like he's a jack in the box. 
He's like he's he's just doing like on the spot calisthenics, so he 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 is tiring himself. I'll out. have to give him I'll have to give him the benefit of the doubt there, but maybe don't do that. You forgot to not do that, by the <laughs> um, which leads me to my number one favorite U two song of all time. That is not one of the greatest hits around. What do you say? Singles compilation. And um, for those of you keeping score, you will notice that it is a dead tie between the Joshua Tree, Axung Baby, um, Pop. And the unforgettable fire, and we're about to see which truly is the greatest by giving a second vote to one of those albums. And which album is that going to be? Let's have a look. I guess it's the price of love. I know it's not cheap. Oh come on, baby, 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 light my That is Ultraviolet, Light My Way, a song by the Irish rock band U2 and the 10th track from their 1991 album. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner tonight is Acton Baby, of course. Um, So this is another aspect of uh, Bono's work that I love and it's his great devotion to uh, the good book, the Bible. Uh, The song is um, filled with allusions to the book of Job and uh, if you'll permit me I would like to, I think I did this on the last podcast. I'd like to read from the book of Job. I would like to read from the book of Job here. So this is Job chapter 29 um, paragraph 1 through 3 which is moreover Job continued his parable and said oh that I were as in months past as in the days when God persevered me when his candle shined upon my head and when by his light I walked through darkness. I feel like that is one of the great inspirations in Bono's life and also the inspiring light that you two give to all of us in this time of darkness when we can walk through um, the valley of death and um, wade through the knee-high blood and bone, but know that the great light of of Bono will always be there to guide us um, to better days. Where we, sh- where we shall be putting on our sexy boots and dancing the night away. So this is my number one, Ultraviolet. Um, not a lot to say about it aside from that. It's it's a it's a beautiful song. It's got that kind of classic edge guitar that you would have just heard there with the delay effects. And it's also got the great melding of the 90s getting into the Berlin. Sort of more electronic elements as well. It has an amazing opening where the song starts as one thing and then just in the blink of an eye changes into this sort of like oddly party anthem musically um but yeah one that they kind of retired a long time ago and brought back on the aforementioned 360 tour where Bono would put on this jacket that was fitted entirely with like those laser pointers that people seem to like point at footballers when they're taking penalties these days and he would they would fill the place with smoke so that the the laser pointers would would shine there uh, the the light would be caught in the in the sort of smoky haze and bono would do this sort of like trapeze not trapeze like sort of basically the microphone was suspended from the top of the apex of the 360 degrees spider and the microphone was shaped like a sort of a um 
a uh, like a donut essentially, and he would swing out of it and you know swing out over the crowd and sing this song and that was a amazing scene to see this man ex-student of Mount Temple in Marino do this turn himself to, lands of to a human disco ball yeah pretty much <laughs> and uh, a friend of my brother's worked in Dublin airport at the time and apparently uh, two days before you two even got to Dublin his jacket is sent ahead in like a fucking armoured <laughs> van and he was like, what, what is that? Because he would, he, he would always have these stories about driving celebrities around the airport and stuff. And he was like, the absolute most famous celebrity that ever crossed my path was Bono's jacket. This laser jacket, which is probably in a hard rock cafe somewhere in Seattle or something. But It's yeah. a great story. It's an even better song. It's a fantastic number one. I love this song. Hell of a choice. Book of Job. And now... I gotta go all Old Testament on us. <laughs> oh, no. And rain down hellfire and brimstone for my number one worst U2 song. Any guesses? I mean, I think... I think I kind of would have... Yeah, I would have picked all of the ones that you've said. Maybe not so much Miami because it was a noble failure, as you say. And so I'm kind of... I did guess the last time that you picked Numb. Although I would like to, I wouldn't like to throw the edge under the bus there and say, and I don't think you, I'd say you probably like that tune. Oh yeah, yeah, so I do. I, I can't say I, I, I'm, I know what to expect here with this number one pick. Take it away, Adam. I immediately recognised that performance. I immediately knew where it was from. And I will say, I thought this was the truth back in the day. I thought it was fantastic. Where's and it I from? St- it's U2 uh, performing Vertigo at Live 8. In 2005, I believe. In Was it London they were playing in? Was it Wembley Stadium? I don't care. Hyde Park, maybe? Hyde Park, that's the where it was. The song is so bad. It's awful. I hate it so much. I, I, I hate everything about it. It to me gave birth to Razorlight. I know they were around already, <laughs> but it is that like like this is this is landfill indie in one song. It's so obnoxious and shit. It's about nothing. You have never been more wrong in your <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Talk no, to me. just wouldn't it be funny if I was a real Vertigo guy? It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> no, I think it's a banger. Just but like, despite me. No, it's it's certainly not worse than any of the songs you've picked and wouldn't enter my bottom five or whatever. But yeah, it's a funny tune. But this place in the world for... You know, you two doing a cock rock song that just it's it sounds like you know match of the day goal compilation, and I just I have a lot of t- or FIFA or whatever it has uh, very commercial. It was used, uh, you know, in uh, everything, in, uh, in, in fucking it, everything. It's the opening track off uh, "How to Smile Atomic Bomb." Terrible, uh, terrible album. I considered Miracle Drug for this list, but I was like, no, nah, let's let's keep it to one per record. If I think I did that, um, international success uh, bolstered by its use in a TV ad for the Apple iPod. And of course, lent its name to a tour. Um, let's see. Yeah, I just it originated from a demo that Edge composed at his Malibu home on a very simple Pro Tools rig. Uh, oh, downgraded from Pro Tools to Garage Band. 
playing along to drum well I'm sure it's in the Apple contract That's playing true. along to <laughs> drum loops that Larry Mullen Jr. recorded for him he Edge created the guitar riff among others while quote exploring rock and roll guitar and quote what that means in the 21st century okay um he gave the, yeah, the demo a working title of Full Metal Jacket. When lead singer Bono heard it, he was very enthused, describing it. In case you didn't know who Bono is, the lead singer Bono. <laughs> UK rock band Oasis. Um, Bono described it as, quote, the mother of all rock and roll tunes. I don't know where it came from, but it's a remarkable guitar thing. You want to hear it. It's a reason to make a record. The song is that good. Like, I do have to say, there's an era in Bob Dylan's career when... Bruce Springsteen brought out his kind of three album run and was the biggest thing on the planet. And then Dylan tried in terrible vein to kind of basically move a little bit closer to cornering that market, failing miserably. I feel like Jack White had these lads shaking in their fucking boots after (laughs) Seven Nation Army came out. And like, I don't know where it falls in the chronology with the whole it might get loud thing, but like, this and Sexy Boots, just, yeah, it's basically the edge was like, I need to get one of them pedals that he has. Earn and distortion do, pedal on, I need yeah, to yeah. get the big muffin, I need to get the Octaver pedal and do all that. I mean... Remember your roots, the edge. This is not the Mount Temple way. Remember you are mortal. At the beginning of the song, Bono counts off in Spanish, unos, dos, tres, catorze. In English, this translates to sum, two, three, fourteen. When asked about this Wait, oddity... what's one? Uno, not Unos. He oh, says Unos. Unos. Yeah. Unos. Some 2, 3, 14. When asked about this oddity in an interview for Rolling Stone, Bonner replied, there may have been some alcohol involved. Yes. AKA, it was just vibes, man. What a Leave it, absolute legend. No, I just, like, I can't stand it. It's nails on a chalkboard to me. It's the sound of that time. It's the sound of me working in X-Vision having to endure absolute shit uh, UK lad rock music. Um, it's just so soulless and hollow and awful. And to me, it ushered in you know, a bad a bad run for the band, you know? Kind of it's like it's it's the harbinger. I accept that people like it, those people are wrong and they're annoying and I never want to be friends with any of them. Well, I guess that's uh, the end of my tenure on the show. No, it is not. <laughs> because the real greatest hit in my life is Sonic Architect, Adam. Well, it's great to be here. I will say I'm kind of siding with Tapley on this. That's I think it's a bit undeniable. He's sidable. What did we learn this week, Tapley? What have we learned today? Well, when Bono starts talking, close your ears. When Bono starts singing, before the year 2005, <laughs> maybe just pay a little bit of attention. Thank you. That's David Tapley, everybody. That was a fun list. I enjoyed it. And I also enjoyed, and you can all enjoy now, it's out in the world, the brand new Tandem Felix record. There's a new sheriff in town, the only lawman that we recognise and endorse on this programme. Thank you for coming back to the show. Thank you for having me and uh, yeah, that's fun as always. Best of luck with everything, best of luck with the gigs and uh, we'll talk to you two again I'm sure someday. Absolutely. We'll get it done. For now um, go listen to only the good U2 songs of which there are many. That's a good thing and uh, this podcast hopefully, you know, hopefully can hold a candle to Ireland's greatest. I think I've told before on the, sh- on the show, have I told before the Bono anecdote about... Um, like, I had to transcribe an interview that Hot Press did with them years ago. It was around the time of, I think, uh, what did they release in 2014? Which album? Yeah. 
Songs of, Songs Innocence. of Innocence. Yeah. So they did a big cover story with Hot Press. It was like a two-hour interview. And I remember I was working from home that day and I was asked to transcribe this two-hour interview. And it took me the whole fucking day. It was, the, the journalist, who will not be named, um, was interviewing them on a plane um, and interviewed them one by one. So like there was a half an hour with one of them, half an hour with another one, and so on. Um, and I think Bono was the last one. But like, there's a moment in it where Bono is talking about how he was once flying on a plane with the Italian actress Sophia Loren, and uh, he was explaining how Sophia Loren was deathly afraid of flying and could not get comfortable and there was all kinds of turbulence and he was trying to calm her down and at one stage there was a lightning strike out into the the night air and she was obviously very upset and Bono turned around to Sophia Loren and said don't worry Sophia that's just God taking your photograph good night everybody (laughs) is that better than what Bon Jovi said I think maybe it's the biggest did not happen I've ever heard in my life (laughs) and I will say as well from having transcribed that interview I can confirm that Bono speaks exclusively in italics and I like italics and I like this show and I like you David Tappy I like you you, Adam Shannon I love you listener it's patreon.com slash noancore if you want to support the show we're back next week much love go listen to good music like Gandam Felix (laughs) 